Hello and welcome to the Millennial Minimalist Podcast. I am your host, Kelly Foss, and together with my co-host, Lauren Morley, our mission is to help you simplify your life and live with greater intention. Together, let's live more with less. Hi, everyone. Today, we're speaking about how to be more intentional with your money and attention. And to lead this conversation, I am joined by fellow minimalist and recognized filmmaker, writer, and author, Anthony Angaro, who wrote the book, Break the Twitch, a practical guide to minimalism, intentional living, and doing more of what matters. If you are looking to improve your habits when it comes to how you spend your money and where you spend your time, this conversation is especially for you. Anthony defines the Twitch as an impulsive of response to discomfort that can cause us to give into distractions. He describes it as the feeling we get when we put our phones down and feel the urge to pick it up again seconds later. For Anthony, the twitch caused him to overspend on insignificant items and miss out on meaningful experiences. And in our discussion, he shares his lessons and strategies to help you adopt intentional spending habits and own your attention. Be inspired to take a step back, identify the twitches in your life, and remove the distractions that you can make purposeful purchases and do more of what matters. So to start off, in your book called Break the Twitch, you talk about your transition from having unhealthy spending habits to becoming more intentional with your purchases, and you share your lessons to help others build better spending habits. Now, to give our listeners some background, can you briefly share the experience that helped you uncover your spending patterns and what motivated you to make a change? Yeah, that's a that's a great question and and I appreciate it. You know, the start really came with just a, a pattern of sorts. And at the time maybe it was even more rare than it is now in, in terms of it being a pretty normal thing. But realistically, there were just a lot of at the time little brown boxes showing up on the porch of our house. And it would be, you know, a couple of days a week, you'd see something show up and oh, there's another thing, and it started becoming like a like a Christmas every day uh, kind of thing. And obviously that starts out with like Amazon and that's the most convenient thing for most people. That's what most people are using now, I know. But it it started out with just that happening a lot. And then some conversations between my wife, Amy, and I uh, like, hey, like, you know, there are kind of a lot of these boxes showing up and different things. And I know that that's a conversation that likely will be relatable to a lot of couples uh, around, <laughs> around the Americas and, and the world. Uh, but yeah, so like it started off as a conversation as, of really needing to see the bigger picture. And it hit a point where I was kind of like, okay, we need to create some awareness uh, around the collective impact that these small decisions are making. And that's what led to exploring the idea of the Twitch and all this stuff and how it came came along. And how you wanted to make a change. So what motivated you to actually, and and to be specific, you had learned that over the course of four years, you had spent over $12,000 on Amazon. Now, first of all, my first question is, what motivated you to check that? Because I think some people could relate to that. And the second question is then, what did you do with those items? Yeah, it was an interesting paradigm because the the situation was like okay what's the big picture here and and this was back in 2012 2013 when this initial process was happening and so amazon is 10 times bigger today it seems like than it was even then 
and I don't want to pick on Amazon. It's just it's just the concept. All companies almost online are doing these similar tactics. It's just you know it kind of is the the new marketing in a way. And you know I I was needing to kind of look at again what was the bigger impact. So uh, ended up going into the settings, the account settings, and found out that yeah you can export a CSV file or like an Excel file of every purchase you've ever made in your account. And initially the reaction to that is horrifying. And like <laughs> even the thought of it is like, okay, what's the, what's the big picture here? And so to be completely honest, I don't know, maybe a bit of manic, just wanting to break through that wall a little bit or break that mirage a little bit. But I went in there and put it all in a spreadsheet. And there are some really interesting things that, that came out of that exercise. One of them being most of the things, so hundreds and hundreds of things, I think it was like over four years, 360 things. Wow. Uh, and again, a good reminder for, for our era now is that this was less about recurring household goods and the vitamins and different things that just we get all the time. This was more about like, oh, it was a cable. It was like this little gadget, this thing, picking up $10, $20, the, like just the little stuff um, that wasn't really like a recurring subscription type thing like we have now to, to a lot of you know daily things that we use instead of going to the store sometimes. But one of the most shocking things of it was that at the high end of that amount was a $1,000 laptop, a MacBook Air in 2012 that I bought and still have to this day, actually. Okay, good. And <laughs> and the the long tail drops off very very quickly where the next most expensive thing was maybe $300 and then the next most expensive thing was maybe you know 200 and then there are like 300 items that are between 20 and $30 and lower and that started to get the wheels spinning around what was happening in terms of these things felt small they felt insignificant in fact they were very just spur of the moment, oh, I need this. And, and it just kind of came up. But when you start putting all of those small things together, lots of small things create uh, uh, big things, right? So Oh, absolutely. So that's what it became. It became a very big thing that led to me having to look at those numbers and like a, a friend's wedding that I had at the time felt was oh, like, this is just going to be too expensive. And I'm looking and it's like, I have that amount of random gadgets and cables that I don't even know where they are at this point. Like, I'm not yep. even sure what I did with them or I gave them away or they broke or whatever. And reflecting back, that's clearly like an opportunity for changing the, the underlying actions around values and realigning and looking at like, wait, is this actually what I want for the long-term arc of my life? If I look back, am I going to want a list of all of these things and whatever, and then not going to friends' weddings or like not going mm -hmm. to important events. Is that what I want? And so obviously looking at the big picture helps that, but it can be pretty scary and vulnerable to look at the big picture. And so it's been, that was almost the start of the journey in a way, discovering that. And then this arc, even through now, through a lot of like healing work and other things and really exploring the emotional connection to these choices. Mm -hmm. uh, has been a really interesting and I guess in a lot of ways fulfilling journey. So it's been it's been a trip. So while you're speaking, I'm I'm thinking of my mom's words. She always says the little things add up. 
She would say that throughout my childhood, you know, yeah, it's only $20, but then you're going to buy another one, another one, another one. It's going to add up. So that's interesting. So the majority of the items that you purchased were non-essential items that basically you didn't even know where they were like extra cables. Uh, I think, I think I read that you were buying extra like workout equipment, you know, all the little accessories. And, and I think a lot of us, especially over COVID, we got so excited about all these things. And I remember trying to get dumbbells, they were all sold out. And totally. I have so many friends that have so many dumbbells that they haven't touched and they're just collecting dust. <laughs> oh, so the at-home workout equipment is just such a tough, oh, that's such a tough, tough thing. It's so relatable too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and as you said, it's, and especially now this is back in, I think you said 2013, especially now it's so much easier to buy things online. And I think a lot of us, we can, you know, we have those moments where we're feeling down or we're feeling low. And I know it for me, especially in those experiences, I've always thought, oh, we'll buy something online or go to a store, buy something, feel better. But then you feel better for an hour. And then you forget about that item, right? So really, in a nutshell, it's about being intentional about your purchases and, and your time. You were saying you were spending on all these items and you were losing out on all these meaningful opportunities, such as going to a friend's wedding or taking trips. And so when you realized that, what did you do? Did you start selling these items? You just Did you start saving so that you could do these meaningful things? Yeah, it was a... A menagerie of things. It was many things, uh, many different approaches to looking at this. Uh, because obviously, opening your eyes to a problem is kind of just the first step, like not being in denial of said problem. So, you know, it, it started with decluttering. This is around uh, the time I'm trying to remember, like when Men's Game was in its early prime, the Minless Game. So, yeah. like getting rid of one thing in the first day, two things in the second day from the, the minimalists, if you will, yeah. uh, you know, their, their deal. And, and so, uh, it, it started with that. It started with some selling and, and then that led to an experiment, uh, which I got really big into like different 30 day lifestyle experiments and like playing with different things. And one of them was actually a 90 day, uh, shopping ban, which I got from my friend, Kate Flanders, who, who has written about all kinds of intentional living things for years, as long, longer than I have at this point. And so, another minimalist thought leader. <laughs> yes, yes, she's wonderful. Um, good friend of mine, and and so got that idea from Kate and ran with it. And so, kind of went into the space where it's like, okay, I'm unsigning in or signing. Unsigning in is a good way to say I'm signing out of uh, of Amazon, and I'm not signing back in for ninety days. Like no purchases at all. I'm going to solve the problems that I have either creatively or by driving to target. Uh, you know, one, one, like literally I even allowed myself to buy things during that time. Just not specifically, not in the easiest ways possible mm. because so much of what I've learned about habit building or habit change is that your environment and the, the ease with which you have access to something is a huge, it plays a huge role in how uh, easily that discipline bucket of ours can, can function within that environment and do the things that align with what we're actually setting out for. Yeah. Uh, Self-compassion obviously plays a huge part of that too, but you know, it was a really interesting experiment in the sense of, I think really it just brought increasing awareness and more attention to what was actually happening and how often that just kind of direct emotion to click 
cycle was happening. And, mm-hmm. and really with any experiment, I think that's probably one of the most valuable things. In a lot of ways, I think a more compassionate approach is, is to just like do something like that and then work on just noticing it. Like just work on like, okay, I see what's happening right now. I'm going to buy this cable because I need it for my camera or I want to get it for my camera so I can have it like this or something. But like just to slow down enough and work on cultivating that, that slowness in a way that allows us to see, see what's happening and acknowledge it and then do it anyway. I know, I know that maybe sounds a little crazy, No, but yeah. Okay. Perfect. So it's like taking, taking the moment to observe and, and think compassionately about maybe what's going on because one of the most profound shifts for me over the last couple of years has been understanding that with compassion, we see fully, like when we can be self-compassionate to our choices, it allows us to actually see what's happening and it allows us to kind of dig into what we might be looking for in that moment, like more deeply than the cable, right? Mm -hmm. And just sort of exploring that, that impulse, because at the end of the day, like most of this stuff, especially when it's things that aren't mission critical or little purchases here and there, it can be food, it can be anything. It, it comes down to like coping with difficult emotional experiences. It comes down to like just trying to be and feel loved and want to feel fulfilled and like we're enough, you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's like a really great camera feels like the right way to make us feel like enough. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It, you're you're making me think about envy. And sometimes we get caught in envy and we envy people that have X. And so we want that. But then as you're saying, you're really looking within thinking, do I really need that? But also, what does that mean that I feel this way? Maybe that's something that I want eventually in life. Or Mm -hmm. maybe they have something that I don't that would add value to my life. And to bring it back to your 90-day shopping ban, what were the parameters of that? You were saying, I think you had said that you could only buy essential items in store so that it wasn't easy for you to just buy these items. Is that is that the case? Yes. So the rules can be flexible. And I think it really comes down to exploring like, what are the things, what are the behaviors that we want to feel? Like, what are the the moments that we, we need to experience and check in with ourselves? And the ban is just a nice way to go, oh, well, I can't do that. So what else can I do? Like, what's the other option here? And maybe what am I experiencing in this mm-hmm. moment? Am I stressed? Am I hungry? Am I tired? Like, what is going on in my life right now? And is this going to solve it? And then again, from a very compassionate place, this is not about shaming ourselves into not buying stuff that I would say creates a cycle of buying more stuff. And so you can probably stop things in the moment with shame. It's, it's like a, you know, effective emotion initially in the moment, but uh, long-term that's just not, it's not workable. I've tried for most of my life, it didn't work out. So, um, so like creating rules for you in order to push your edge a little bit is the name of the game. Like not to go totally overboard and push everything away, but to like challenge yourself a little bit to your edge where you can comfortably do it, but where it's like, okay, I'm noticing this or, or this is a little difficult and you have to go just a little out of your way. So for me, it was like no hitting that one click purchase button, no using Amazon at all. If I needed paper towels, I would go in the, you gotta put on your shoes, 
got switched out of sweatpants from working at home that day yeah. or whatever and get in the car or or ride your bike to a store see people talk to people have that experience of like being a human in this world and experience all the friction the the wonderful terrible friction that comes with that and mm -hmm. and go get the paper towels and then sit in the checkout line and that takes what like 45 minutes i don't know depending on how close your locations are but yep. that experience fundamentally changes your brain it changes your neural pathways around what you associate with the the chore that it takes to get things mm -hmm. what you feel about um, how necessary that thing is you'll make some different decisions about whether you actually want something that badly if you have some of these rules in place uh there's no reason to just do it for 90 days if you want you could completely support a local business by shopping uh you know I guess not the big box stores, but, uh, but, you yeah. know, if you're shopping in your neighborhood and getting out and about like that kind of thing, you know, it's, it's really great, but at the same time, it requires a certain pace, mm -hmm. a certain slowness of life that must be cultivated along with the self-compassion and along with the slowing down and the observing and sort of just feeling out these things and, and working through it as it comes up because yeah, there's a lot going on down there. Uh, you know, when it comes to emotions and, and it comes down to how we process things, like it's, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot there. You know, it, may, it makes me think of the why. I, I believe that you mentioned that sometimes you would make these purchases out of boredom and having these bands, these experiences that you placed for yourself, these challenges, you, you challenge yourself to spend 45 minutes versus just clicking it online and having it arrived to your door. Yeah. Your brain gets rewired again. It's about habits. Something that you pointed out in your book that I thought was really, really great is how a lot of people will buy things for the idea of them, like the 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 idea of their future self, someone buying a guitar and then the guitar just sits there because they don't actually get lessons and and you had bought Mandarin books because you wanted to learn Mandarin, but you never actually opened those books. And yep. so I'm, I'm curious, what advice would you give our listeners to avoid purchases like that? Yeah. Uh, so this is what you're talking about is an idea that, that I've come to call the false first step. And it's the idea that we feel like purchasing something towards a goal is like a helpful or valid first step towards actually doing it. And sometimes it is, again, I'm going to say the word self-compassion a lot here because it's a new paradigm for understanding why we do these things. And, and it really can help shift things more substantially over the long term. So it's really important, but like exploring like the, uh, you know, sometimes in order to, to do something, you need to buy something. Sometimes yeah. you can rent it, but sometimes it's just more practical to buy the thing. If you don't have any running shoes, or good walking shoes that are supportive, like it's a walking shoes. So you can go out and walk more, right? Do that. But it's when we have a pattern, a lot of this stuff with the Twitch, with uh, the false first step, all these things are all about what are the recurring things? Are you clicking that Amazon buy it now button a couple times a day? Or are you seeing this over and over? Because those are the small things become big things paradigm again. But, you know, when it comes down to it, like you don't need a yoga mat to do yoga for the first time. Like if you go to a studio, you can, you can borrow one, you can pay five bucks to rent one. A lot of the time they're nice. And, you know, depending on the place, they'll, they'll use it. And so much of it, I think comes down to like the fear and the vulnerability in that moment. Like 
we we want to look like a yogi mm -hmm. so we buy the stuff that makes us look like a yoga yogi yep. and and that's that's human that's like a very human cultural experience and one that that's okay right that's okay to want to fit in and have community and be a part of something but it's just something worth exploring when it comes to the pattern of like maybe you don't need the highest end smart watch if you haven't even started running yet maybe we need to just kind of walk around the block one time and just like experience that and make the space for it and practice like the elements of slowness in that moment of just letting ourselves create the space because a lot of the time i think purchases are driven by a hopeful like oh if i have this then i'll make the space in my life for it mm -hmm. or like oh if i well if i have this in the backyard then we'll we'll definitely be oh this new grill like oh that'll get the family all finally having quality time together in the backyard right. and it's like yeah. one it gets used once a summer and then it rusts out and then it's like okay <sighs> it's tough this is such an interesting balancing act with all these things and uh, worth exploring. I like that you you bring awareness to it, right? I mean, I think that's my biggest takeaway from your book. I'm more aware of the, the distractions around me and those mm -hmm. choices that we make that aren't so intentional. I get a lot of people who are asking me, oh, how do I start a podcast? I give them the advice and they think, oh, I got to get the top of the line this. I got to get the top of the line <laughs> microphone. And I always advise them, don't. Mm -hmm. I said, I have an extra microphone, borrow it. Do a few episodes. The average podcast lasts three, four, five episodes. So it's like, it's like, you, and I, there, my biggest advice is like, you have to love it. <laughs> mm -hmm. You have to love it. And you, I also recommend you renting materials, start, figure it out, see if you love it. And sure enough, one person gave me the mic back. But, you know, that's just an example. We don't need just because, you know, you bought the high end MacBook Air doesn't mean you're going to be good at X. <laughs> you don't yes. need all these high end materials, depending, of course, on what you're doing and what what, you know, what your intentions are. But it just it goes back to that. And it makes me think and I hope our listeners are also thinking, oh, yeah, what is it that I bought recently that I bought because I thought it would make me better? Mm hmm. You know? Oh my gosh. I mean, the human brain, this funny brain of ours it is wonderful, wonderfully powerful at coming up with ways to create roadblocks for not doing the things that we're afraid of. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a careful line to walk talking about like how we probably create a lot of the roadblocks that we experience when it comes to things like podcasting. Oh my gosh, I would second everything you just said, Kelly, about you, you need to love talking and you need to love preparing and you need to love producing and you need to love a lot of things. It's not just sitting around and talking with your friends. Uh, it's There's a lot to it and you absolutely should do it. For anyone listening, you should pursue it if it's something you're interested in and explore it. But uh, but it's very, very easy to, to feel like, well, uh, as someone who has produced 30 episodes of a three camera in-person podcast myself, I can Maybe. tell you that it's a ton of work and there are infinite reasons why you shouldn't do it. There are infinite reasons why like, uh, or rather there are infinite reasons why it's like, oh, well, I, I need this camera or I really need this microphone or things like that. And I think I just read about how Tim Ferriss uh, still uses his $99 USB microphone 
for his podcast that has like, I think over, I don't know how many hundreds of millions of downloads at this point. Yep. And he always laughs about that. Uh, in the film industry, because I work in video too, like uh, we say content is king. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as long as the audio isn't noticeable, so you're not like crackling or you're not um, sounding like you're sitting across the room from the mic, for example, even most right. modern iPhone, iPhone headphones are fine at this point to just get started mm-hmm. because that's the vulnerability. That's the hard part is like sitting down and talking things out and then hearing your voice recorded for the first time and being like, oh, do I yeah. really <laughs> sound like that? Is that serious right now? Yeah. Uh, you know, just experiencing the, the the raw just vulnerability of being recorded. Oh my gosh, when I, I've been recording myself on YouTube since uh, you know 2015, I've been in music. I was a singer since I was 12. So wow. I've heard myself every time I hit every time I hit record, I suck. Like I swear every time I hit record, I screw up the thing that I just did perfectly five times. Like the red light syndrome is 100% a real thing. And overcoming that I think is a huge part of it too, you know. Like it's never all of this stuff is just yeah, it's just like having that experience is the work, not necessarily having the mic right away. Cause you don't even know what you need. That's the other thing about buying stuff early on. It's like, you don't know why you're getting what you're getting. And you're like, well, Matt Diavella has that one. And so, you know, like, we'll just do that and bless him. Like Matt produces amazing stuff and stuff like that, but it's not the microphone. Like the microphone helps, you know, it helps add the edge, but he also knows how to use it. He knows how to position it and what to do with it. And so, so much of the the vulnerability of showing up and doing things creatively like this, as you know, is, is just like, okay, like, where am I? What can I do with what I have now? Mm-hmm. And, and then going, okay, we've hit this rhythm and I'm seeing this issue and I can really improve this issue by getting a SM7B or like, you know, the Yeti or like what, just a, right. a microphone that levels up what I'm doing once we have some rhythm to it and that goes for running that goes for gosh anything right it goes for all of the human experience like yeah you can have all the top of the line stuff but then the content's not there right so again as you said no idea how to use it it could still sound bad i think that's my point like i've made expensive versions in my early in my career and you know but but like a lot of the time some people like they they start here and then they like work up to it and there were definitely a few things like when i started doing commercial video work i got a cinema camera that was like you know six thousand dollars and at the time i had like one or two clients but to a certain extent there are some things that are okay to do that with because you're like okay you know you go for it and it's all about balancing this stuff but man yeah it's 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 tricky that's the whole thing it's like balancing these choices and the only way to do it is to slow down you just mm-hmm. have to slow down and think through it and give yourself mm-hmm. some self-compassion and know that you're enough already you don't need a big expensive camera to be enough exactly exactly so it reminds me my co-host and i we recorded our first episode on our phone i love that yeah <laughs> i think yeah. Of, i think back and i think well the reason why we did is because it was practice it was just an experiment and it turned into this whole podcast, so which Look is amazing. It's amazing, yes. Yeah. It's a part of sure. the story, right? And I wanted to go back a little bit. You were, we were talking about how you were banning yourself from buying things online, and I find that it's super, super helpful for me when I say, "Okay, well, I'm only going to use like cash this week." I did this three years ago, so I would yeah. only use cash. 
when you are using cash to buy something, you really feel, oh, that's a lot of money. But when you just press, oh yeah, I'm going to buy this online. It's so much easier. And that is a trap. And mm-hmm. I find myself in that. I'm like, oh, if, in the store, if I, my favorite store is Aritzia. If I go in there, oh, I spend $170. I'm like, okay, that feels a little bit weird. Whereas online, it's like, oh, that's easy. You know, it's, it's, it's tricky. Yeah. There, there's something, I mean, yeah, I, I agree fully. And there's something about taking eight $20 bills out of your wallet and handing it over for that 160 and then some change, right? Like that physical experience and something that I I've come to understand is like, it's friction, like it's slowing down the process. Yes. So we have a bit of a moment. We're just not designed to think that quickly unless there's a tiger in front of us. Like our brains are programmed to have a nervous system, high level experience, and then make a fast choice based on that to survive. And it's almost like that is the mechanism that's being implemented when we choose to buy something now versus like taking it out of the wallet. I love that. Like, what do you have to do? What are the steps involved? And Mm -hmm. And that just like creates more steps. It's super, it's brilliant to to just like explore how do we put more steps into the things that I want to be more mindful around? Because usually mindfulness is actually slower, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's like hand washing the dishes versus putting the dishwasher. I know? do that every day. I haven't used my dishwasher. Uh, so I just moved to apartments, but in mm-hmm. my other apartment, I hadn't used a dishwasher for seven years <laughs> That's a, wow. And that's only because I grew up with parents who said we have three dishwashers, my sister, my brother, and I. So they're like, oh we don't need gosh. one. <laughs> oh my goodness. And I thought that was oh. great. I mean, it was yeah. a, it's a good habit that we built. There was, as you say, some friction there. It wasn't as easy. It was more challenging. And, and yeah, and in, in those challenging moments, you slow down and then you realize, I think it, by, by being a slow living in general, helps you be more intentional with how you move and what you're doing with your time and your money. And um, I think this takes us to the question of what does it mean to break the twitch? Uh, mm-hmm. I, I guess that means some type of friction. And you know, how can we better manage unhelpful triggers to avoid the twitch? Mm-hmm. It's a great question. And, and I wanted to quickly kind of come back to answer that question with what you were just sharing about washing dishes. Like, how has hand washing dishes throughout the last seven years affected the way that you prepare food? I mean, I guess that can be rhetorical or it can be like, have you noticed that you use fewer bowls when you're preparing food? Are you more yes. mindful yes. about I, your usage of things? I absolutely. So I am very much someone who I always clean as I go. So, and that's why I'm like, person. I, I got to clean as I it. go because it was always, I grew up with a mom who would make the food and then my dad would do the big two-hour cleanup. It's like, you don't need to do that. It's <laughs> you brutal. Don't need yeah. to all these all these bowls and although my mom's pretty good at not, you know, using extra bowls to display certain food. She doesn't care so much about that. But you're right. When I am prepping food, I'll say, oh yeah, I'll just use that bowl and then I'll reuse that one because I know that I have to wash all these items. So true. Never thought about that. So like the friction, the inherent friction around this choice you've made immediately and, and, uh, unchangeably in a way affects by default. Cause you're not, that's the thing. Like, you're not like, okay, I really need to use less dishes. I need to use fewer dishes. It's not like a goal you have. It's just inherent. 
because of the choice. And that's what's, I think, so beautiful to start looking at in terms of a framework of the twitch, of these impulses, of these coping strategies and coping methods that we might be doing without much thought. It's how do we implement it so that it's not something we're actively fighting and we're looking to ground ourselves more regularly, breathe and just slow down. Um, in a bit of an interesting twist, I've been studying software engineering for the last three months. Oh, wow. Okay. And I'm going to spend the next seven months in a back-end software engineering program. Good for you. That's amazing. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. It took a lot of, well, therapy and self-work to get to the point where I'd expose myself to this kind of risk because I've always been uh, someone who is not a math person and a, not a STEM sciences person. Uh, but coming back around to realizing that I, I actually loved it and it's actually what I wanted to do and I had been sort of blocking myself from it was a big part of the, the revelation. But there's something that I've learned in the last three months as I've just been studying a few hours a day to prepare for this program and it consistently reinforces itself. Uh, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And I say that to myself probably at least once a day. Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And what would always happen is like I would break something in my program or in my code and I would just get this epic wall of text with line numbers and errors that I don't understand. And in the first week or two, I had this intense emotional experience with that. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Oh my gosh, this is so many words. And I would rush and I would like just try to find you know, try to find the problem and, and it would just really get bad. And then a lot of the time in the past, right, this has been the journey of the last five years or so, the past would lead to a very avoidant approach to that thing. Like, well, I guess I'm just not good at programming. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what this means. And it's like, wait, no, like that is in place. That, that emotional experience is in place from past experiences in my life to protect me from, you know, shame of, of feeling like I'm not good at things or like I need to understand immediately in order to be a competent person, all of these things. And what I was forced to learn, because I was like, okay, well, I made the choice to go into this program. I'm preparing in whatever way I need to do it now in order to be successful within that very intense, like 60 hour a week program, which is not slow as smooth, smooth as fast, but it's just the nature of the beast. And, and what ended up happening was I was like, okay, what's the first line? Started reading that and moved through. And then eventually I was like, oh, that's the one that I need. And you slow down and you read the thing and then you try something. And doing that over and over again for eight weeks. So for two months, mm -hmm. completely changed the emotional experience of that situation for me to where I see a wall of text and I don't go cross-eyed anymore. I don't like get that super negative nervous system reaction of like a bit of panic, slight sweat, like, oh God, I broke it. Uh, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And so the most important thing I just think throughout this experience and what it's taught me about everything having to do with the twitch and intentionality and, and choosing is creating the environment mm -hmm. where you can slow down. But that takes a lot of work because you have to be able to sit with yourself. You have to be able to uh, be compassionate towards your emotions and your feelings and, and the things that you're going through in that moment. And it takes a lot of seeing things for what they are, which again, that radical acceptance takes a lot of self-compassion, understanding it like we're not perfect, we're human. And 
all of this stuff is just like us going through a human experience with companies trying to extract money from us and value from us as we go. So, so it's, it's a bit of a trip, but slow is smooth, smooth is fast is the mantra. And when I feel rushed or anxious, Mm -hmm. I just always try to come back to that and take a deep breath and go, okay, where are we? Let's, let's take a moment. You're really speaking about like those internal triggers, you know, you're like, oh, oh, like I'm not good at this. And maybe because you felt that way, you pick up your phone. So you're distracted because you just want to get away from it because you're frustrated. Uh, I hear you. Wow. You're you're really going deep there because I'm thinking about how even for me, for in my in my high school years, I wasn't the greatest at math Mm -hmm. and I was told you're not good at math. And so I would get frustrated. And but instead of getting frustrated, I realized I had a moment where I thought, well, why don't I get a tutor? So I paid for a tutor and completely transformed my marks. Wow. And I became really good at math. Oh, it's amazing. It's like it's like you can sit in that and tell yourself you're not good at math Mm -hmm. or you can make a change. Right. And and I remember in those moments I would get frustrated and yeah, I would I would turn to those distractions around me and waste time and I was not focused. And then I changed that. I changed it around. So, so no, that's a, that's a good example. And kudos to you. Software engineering is really challenging. (laughs) It is, it is definitely a beast. And and I really appreciate you sharing that piece of your own story with me. I mean, that it's a vulnerable thing to accept the fact that we're struggling with something. It's a very vulnerable thing to ask for help, to realize that, uh, you know, I know it's, it's very challenging for some. It was for me for a long time to, to just go like, I don't get this and I need help. And, and it's amazing how one generally willing good people are when it comes to wanting to help people that are like, oh, I don't get this. Like people want to feel useful, right? We want to jump in and like try to help people through things. And mm-hmm. I think that's a general generalism, but you know, it's uh it's it's tough it's a vulnerable thing and a lot of the time if we deal with um you know different family systems and things that that have a bit of an impatience like why don't you get this like what's going on you know mm. like that kind of energy uh it can as a young person it can really affect how we feel about ourselves and um feeling like we need to prove something and the reality is that you know i've heard this I mean, I've read so many books over the last couple of years, but so I, I can't even quote where it's from. But the idea is like, you don't have anything to prove even to yourself. You don't have anything to prove. You know, mm-hmm. we're just a human here on this earth, having this experience, dealing with all these weird challenges and psychological manipulation from all of these outside sources to try to control or change our behavior to their liking. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to navigate that, right? And and all of us have different circumstances and things and and it's really just about like coming back to that center and trying to get, I think a lot of it is like, we're trying to get something from other things that we can only give ourselves. It's the idea of like, you know, we want to fill that void. That's a really dark way to put it, but the void of like self-compassion of self love mm-hmm. and like just feeling like enough. And so we, yeah. we try to get it from other places and at some point through therapy or other help or guidance and, a lot of self-work, uh, we can start to see that like it's it can only come from within. And I know that's like such a cliche thing, but but it's true. No, no, for sure. I mean, my co-host and I, we always talk about how 
this lifestyle is not just about the physical clutter. It's also the mental clutter and something that we constantly have to work on is how we speak to ourselves Mm. because we are not very nice to ourselves. Lauren and I, we admit we're not. And so we are trying to change that, that framework. And rather than saying, oh, I'm really bad at math, say, no, I'm good at math. You know, I can do Mm. this or, you know, oh, I'm so bad at that. Well, then you probably will be bad at that. You need to change your mindset. You need to change how you see yourself and how you talk to yourself. And this actually brings me to Nir Eyal's work, who is an author who I believe that you've spoken with, who wrote the book uh, Indistractable. I interviewed him in a past episode, and he talks about how to hack back on external triggers, but also internal triggers so that we can avoid being distracted. And I found that similar to you, you share how to hack back on external triggers so that we can avoid making unhealthy purchases and be more intentional with our time and attention. Mm -hmm. So can you share a few strategies to help us minimize the distractions around us, especially when it comes to apps and websites? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the first thing is, is I guess what has become the, the tagline of Break the Twitch, which is love your attention. Like, and that's very vague, but I'll drill that down. Uh, Our attention is speaking to us constantly. When we're working on something and we think of a really funny tweet, that is your attention telling you something. That is, it's sharing that you're in a bit of discomfort or there's just something going on to where, like, I I think in 95% of cases, Nothing happens for a reason. And I don't mean that fate-wise, like, oh, that car crash happened for a reason. No, I mean the things that that our brain and ego and bodies end up doing, buying that thing, going over to Amazon or like doing, those things are speaking to us, those actions. And so the best way that 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 we can approach doing this holistically, I would say, is slowing down, learning to love our attention and listen to what it is telling us. And it's okay if we still do the thing. It's okay if you still buy the thing, but being willing to notice and maybe inquire just a little bit each time in order to to do that and slow the process. And that is what gives you the opportunity to create intentional friction, which is the other strategy. So, you know, if you want to uh, not use your phone as much, keep it in the other room, leave it in the bedroom. Uh, if you wake up with it as your alarm check whatever you need to check when you're standing up and then leave it in there on the charger and then go about your day and and then come back at lunch like do what you can to create that going to the store in your car putting on socks and pants experience but in all the different things that that you use and do and slowly but surely you design the life around you and it becomes more of that experience about like oh, I really I really want to be more intentional with how many bowls I use when I'm cooking to, oh no, no, this is just what I do because of the design of how I behave afterwards. It just becomes the default because it's easier. And so it's in effect working to create a new path of least resistance for ourselves, for our brains, because man, we really just have one bucket of discipline, maybe each day, let's call it. And if we're dealing with work, maybe kids, maybe uh, just managing relationships and different things in life and bosses. And sometimes other people's stress just pours right on over to, to us. If people are not necessarily super healthy at handling their own, uh, their own emotions. Uh, and, and that's hard. And, and that is like where a lot of this stuff that feels tactical, it feels like 
okay, so you just want me to wear the same clothes every day? Like, really? Like, yeah. oh, oh, are you, oh, you're, you're really, your life is that hard? You know, you could really be cruel thinking about some of these things that, that are so common. But the truth is, every little thing adds up, as we talked about in the, in the beginning. These choices, these things, removing things from your plate, it can be really helpful. And it can remove some of the insecurity, some of the decision-making, some of the, you know, just the process of that, that might get in the way of mm-hmm. more intentional choices in different ways. And if you have an outfit that you love and you feel confident in, rock that thing five days a week, whatever, you know, like have your uniform, do it up, you know, and, and that's all a big part of this. But at the end of the day, all of this is personal. We've all had very unique human experiences throughout our young lives and adult lives. And, and so the solutions are gonna be slightly different too, but again, being nice to ourselves, being compassionate and like really working to not judge the choices we make and understand that, you know, when we dig down there, there's, there's a reason there's something going on and Mm -hmm. we may understand that at some point, but uh, for now I see what's happening and we're just going to pay attention to that. Like that's the process. It's not just about changing the behaviors. It's about stepping back and thinking about why did I have those behaviors in the first place? Like, why Mm -hmm. am I doing these things? Right. I think that's super, super helpful. And I, when you, you share a lot of great tips in your book, so I won't share them all, but one that one I really, really love is, so a lot of us will have our credit card already in our iCloud. So it will autofill any website that we go to. And that makes it really easy to buy things. So I highly recommend removing that (laughs) because then you have to physically type in your credit card number, your address, all that information. So uh, I've done that and uh, I find that majority of the time I don't buy it. (laughs) Yes, that's, that's a, that is a wonderful example um, of, of like, yeah, strategy for creating some of that intentional friction. Um, using different apps to to block your phone during certain times. Um, there's all kinds of options out there that are worth exploring, like Forest, I think, is still around, yeah. and they're really great. You get to grow little fun trees and different things like that. And yeah, it's really, <laughs> it's about exploring those different options. And the other thing, too, a bit of trusting the process and knowing that um, something that has been very, very true for me throughout this is when the student is ready, the teacher arrives. So make the change, kind of trust the process. For a lot of people listening right now, maybe this conversation, there will be one really key tidbit in this where they've been kind of poking around thinking about something and that that one idea will go, you know what, maybe I should try this. And they've been considering it now. This was the conversation, hopefully, that will create that that nudge, that that change. We find out this information when we need it. And that's happens at different times for everyone. So trust yourself, trust the process and, and know that when you're ready to take the step to your edge, to, to remove, to add some friction to your phone, to add some friction to the purchase process, when you're ready to, because you're exposing yourself, right? Like you are, it's vulnerable to change a thing that you've been coping with. Yeah. I mean, it's like any other, any other thing. And and any other uh, vice, let's call it, that's a pretty negative way to put it. But, you know, it's a matter of like, when you're ready for it, you'll step into that. When you're ready for change, like you will start to implement it and be gentle with yourself along the way. And I think that's like, you know, that's the, that's the name of the game through and Mm -hmm. through. Mm -hmm. I, I have to highlight that you highlight the importance of making 
purposeful purchases and creating spaces that reflect our intention. And you ask us to think about the few items we use each day to measure how intentional we are with them. I thought that was so smart because, for example, you say, oh, you know, if someone were to pick up my phone, would they what would they think? Like, what would my priorities look like, right? And then it could yeah, come yeah. back to me and be like, oh, am I being intentional? Same with your office desk, you said. Like, if someone saw your office desk, what would they think? And then how would that information make you feel? Would that reflect you? Are you being intentional with these items? So I thought that was a really, really good question because I think our listeners can think about, oh, what do I use all the time? And am I using it with intention, right? Mm-hmm. So- yeah. I think one of the really helpful frameworks around that is is the idea of like a, a in a thousand years from now your life let's just say your life is like frozen in time right now with your your home and your tech and your stuff where are you you know like maybe you're at your computer or maybe you're on your couch on your phone and let's say that that just freezes and then a thousand years from now alien architects or uh, archaeologists are coming and observing it like just like we observe ancient cultures and the remains we see a fire pit, we see a, a food area, we see, we're like, oh, they they were a very uh, culture or like, you know, very close knit community and things like that. What would, what assumptions, this is just a fun experiment, not to shame you into like changing, but it's just a fun experiment to bring some awareness around like, okay, let's look around my desk. If someone knew nothing about me and nothing about my intentions or what I wanted to be or do or what, you know, my goals, where are things now in terms of what would what are the assumptions that would be made about my choices, about how things are right now? Like, oh, clearly they're very interested in whatever this black box thing is because they spend a bunch of time staring at it every day. Like, must have been some magical, this must have been their God or something like, yeah. you know, that. those are the kinds of thoughts that, that would probably come to future civilization exploring our lives now. So it's just a fun framework to like go, Huh, if I were seeing all of this for the first time and had no idea what any of it was, what would I assume about the person living here? And what would I assume about what their actual priorities were, like what they valued? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It makes me think so. My co host and I, we have really renovated our phones that all of our apps are at the bottom of our phone. So when you look at it, there's nothing distracting you, right? It's super, Mm -hmm. super helpful. So it just goes to show that, you know, that's one thing that someone could take from me and be like, she's being intentional with her phone. She doesn't have any things that, you know, I don't have the Amazon app on my phone. No, 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 no. That's dangerous. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My mother does, but she needs to take it (laughs) off. But yeah, no, that's a really, really good question. But um, to close off today, considering your new healthier spending habits, considering you're being more intentional with your time, your attention and how you're spending your money, what have you gained and how have you grown? Yeah, in so many ways, if you understand that uh, discomfort creates growth or growth requires discomfort, I have uh, I, I cultivate cacti because I live in Arizona now and I grow a bunch of different types of cacti and things. And one of the amazing experiences that I've gotten to witness with this is when a new pup, we, we, we cut the top off of one, a new pup or like growth will just burst out of the side of it and start growing anew as though you had never, you know, you'll still see the cutting, but there's this amazing new thing. And part of that process is literally the pup bursting through the skin of the existing cacti. And that looks like a very uncomfortable process. And 
so what I would say is that these experiments, these changes, these little things are uncomfortable. They create discomfort and that's something to be aware of, but that discomfort is what leads to growth, deeper understanding of yourself, deeper. And that's been my experience in short, like, mm -hmm. um, all of this work, I, I wrote the book, I think in 2017, 2018. And then I've been doing like, you know, therapy over the last three years and just continuing a lot of meditation and exploring a lot of this other stuff. And in so many ways, all of that initial work to like minimalism is an amazingly powerful tool to, to create discomfort in a positive way to mm -hmm. change behaviors, to change our beliefs and understandings. By removing and creating space, we need to look at why wasn't there space there in the first place? Yes. And what was that? What was that serving? What what part of me was that serving? And so, in the best way possible, like it's allowed me to get to where I am now, where I'm doing this software engineering. Like, I Kelly, I swear to you, it's so hard for me to explain, but deeply, like I've done. You know, I was horrible at maths, where I just didn't get it algebra was like the end of my learning curve for math and that ended I like I didn't take it in college no way and yeah literally like I'm gonna be super vulnerable here and be like essentially I took a placement test for college level math like years after because I was starting to take some classes again and I did I like did not pass even to entry like pre-algebra so that's what I'm talking about where I came from and all of the stuff we're talking about right now is what allowed me to do the work that I've done over the last few years. Just every little bit is increased awareness. We get to know ourselves better. We start to explore what are the ways we're hiding? What are the ways that we're holding on to things that are no longer serving us? Right. All of that stuff evolves over time. And I mean, you know, thoughts are things that we can hold on to that no longer serve us. Mm -hmm. All of this kind of stuff. So in the best way possible, I mean, I started on this stuff almost 10 years ago and I started writing about it eight years ago. And all of it has led to this moment where I've been able to like sit with myself and be connected to my body and understand what emotions I was experiencing and know that I am not those emotions and that mm -hmm. it's just passing thing that I need to take responsibility for, but also be like, okay, this isn't, I'm still going to choose this other thing. Mm -hmm. And that only comes with just, you know, continuous, slow, smooth, smooth is fast, self-exploration, and then creating discomfort when we're ready for it. Yes. When we're ready for that teacher, uh, we'll create it, you know. You seem like, uh, you, seem like you have such a, a, a sense of calm, especially with this lifestyle, because you've created this newfound space. You have newfound time to do the software engineering opportunity or take mm -hmm. this on. But I, I love the way you speak. You said a lot of pithy words there that I think Joshua Fields Melbourne would be very <laughs> excited about. <laughs> but it's it's so true. It's like this lifestyle helps you clear the noise so that you can focus mm -hmm. on the things that are most meaningful you, to you, but also give you the space internally to work on why you have done things the way you've done them. Because maybe you were told earlier in your childhood that you weren't good enough. And mm -hmm. for me... And, and for my co-hosts and other people in my life, I think, uh, you know, and a, a lot of my friends, my groups are very ambitious people. And I find that a lot of them have been told that they're not good enough in some way. And it's kind of lit a fire in them. And I think this lifestyle's given us the space to pursue those things that we really wanted to pursue that we mm -hmm. wouldn't had had we not 
taken on this lifestyle. And, and I love to tell people, you know, people use minimalism and people get scared. It's like, it's just living a simpler, more intentional life. And who wouldn't want that? I love to stress that. So totally. Yeah. It's, it's minimalism is what you create it, what you want it to be. And it's going to just like our experiences, it's going to look different for every single person who practices it, because some people are into instruments, some people are into ornamental vases. And if you love ornamental vases, and that is something that just brightens your day when you walk into your home and see them, like that is your version of minimalism. It's just getting rid of like this stuff that's around them that maybe doesn't let you focus on the things that, that matter to you. Mm-hmm. And again, that's going to look different for everyone. And that's, that's the beautiful thing of being human. That's the beautiful yes. thing of doing this is that we get to explore what that means. Yes. So to close today, one question for you is what is one big step our listeners can take today to break the twitch? Oof. Yeah. I, I knew this one was coming because, but that's a, that's a tough thing. So, but I'll, what I'll say is like one, one thing that you can do right now in this moment, listening to this podcast is just take a deep breath, just inhale all the way in and let it out and just look around you, look at where you are, feel what you're feeling, check in with yourself and ask yourself what you want right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that will lead you on your way. I think that's well said. I really, really well said. My favorite quote from your book was, while unwinding years of clutter, notifications, and distractions may feel like a constant uphill battle, you will find the benefits are meaningful and worth the effort to achieve them. I was like, yes. So just breathe. Yes. <laughs> just breathe. And and really, you know, it's, it's worth it. It's worth creating the space to uh, find the freedom. And, and that's, that's the name of the game, but again, it'll come when you're ready for it. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for today, Anthony. This is so much fun. I could talk to you for forever. Likewise. I was going to say, good, good. good questions. Yeah. So where can our listeners find you? You have an amazing YouTube page, blog, podcast, newsletter. Thanks. Yeah. The best place to be break, break the twitch.com. You can just search break the Twitch on YouTube and just about everything will come up uh, in terms of the videos or just Google break the Twitch and, and you'll find all kinds of good stuff there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Anthony, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Kelly. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. That was my conversation with fellow minimalist, YouTuber, writer, and author, Anthony Angaro. And I hope that our discussion has left you feeling motivated to be more intentional with your money and attention. And I also hope that you learned a little bit more about minimalism. As Anthony and I discussed, this lifestyle not only inspires us to reflect on where we are spending our money and attention, but it also gives us a space to pursue the goals we have always wanted to. Or simply put, we gain the space to better embrace our authentic selves. Living with intention helps us focus our attention on the most meaningful things and helps us uncover the things that we may have also always wanted to pursue. And if you resonate with this, please let us know by sharing this episode in a story or by sending us a message on Instagram or Facebook at Millennial Minimalist. We would love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about Anthony and his work, 
please head to breakthetwitch.com. And as always, you will find all these links in our show notes. And lastly, I want to say thank you to all of you who have written us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. We really, really appreciate you taking the time. And if you haven't already, please do. We love reading your words. So thanks again for listening, everyone. And I will speak with you soon. Bye-bye.